One out, nobody on. The playoff to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three call. To the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. Welcome to Autographs. This is episode 15. Uh, as usual, I'm Tom Altusiski. Tonight, I'm joined by Trey Bond. How are you doing, Trey? Tom, doing well. Cool. Well, uh, we wanted to continue today our discussion of um, some of the auto new All-Stars from last week. We're past the All-Star game now, but I think still kind of within that All-Star week or a couple weeks in the middle of the season. Uh, before we do that, though, I wanted to mention something uh, from the creator, Niv Shah. He's the creator of Adenu. Uh, if you go back, we interviewed him on one of our episodes. Really interesting. He is working on a new tool, the Adenu Community, uh, and he asked us to kind of let everyone know about it. It's been out for a little while now, but we're working on trying to get some more people on there. Basically, what it is is uh, kind of a forum for Adenu where you can discuss you know, trades, you can discuss players, if you're interested in rule tweaks or have questions, things like that. What we're trying to do is make something that's available for all Adenu players. You know, You probably know that we have the Slack group, but that's really been kind of for diehard fans. And we want, really wanted to have something that we could use for anybody who's playing Adenu. They don't need to go and sign up for a special group or something. They can just go straight to this form if they have any questions. Um, so if you want to check that out, you can go to adenu.community.com, or you can actually click. There's a link at the top of your page. I think it says Adenu Community. And it'll take you right over there. The cool thing about it is you don't even need to log in. You don't need to create any kind of account. Niv has it set up so that if you have an Adenu account, you'll just get automatically logged in. So that's really great. You could go and check it out. Uh, from what I hear, I think Niv is planning to roll out some new tools on there. I'm not sure exactly what that's going to be, but I'm sure he'll let us know when um, that's going to be coming out and we'll pass the word along to you. Uh, yeah, so I think it's a cool feature. You can go check it out and let us know what you think. All right, so back uh, to our episode of the week. We're talking about the pitching and the relievers from our um, our Auto New All-Stars. And we're going to do kind of the same layout. We wanted to highlight some guys that are not just all-stars by performance, uh, but they're also all-stars in value. So again, these are guys that are playing really well, but in Adenu, they're also owned at really good prices. You know, so they're giving you a lot of surplus value, letting you spend money on other players. Uh, so Trey, I'm going to kick it across to you if you want to pick a guy to talk about first. Sure, I'll, I'll kick it off with Tanner Roark, guy that I don't own anywhere. And honestly, you know, last week we talked about how surprising it is sometimes when you kind of dial in in the, in the all-star break and you start taking a look at stats that you haven't looked at for a few months because you thought you knew what you're talking about entering the season. And uh, Tanner Roark, as of yesterday, so we're just past the all-star break, but he started Saturday out of the all-star break, had a good game. But he's the one, two, three, four, five. He's in the top 12 starting pitchers right now, and he's having a pretty good season. In fact, he just surpassed Chris Sale, so that tells you he's owned for most in most leagues for under four bucks, I think. Uh, so he's been a pretty good MVP, I would say. The guy who kind of landed in the fifth spot for the Nationals rotation entering the season, everybody kind of thought he was just sort of a, a book holder for a bookmark for Giolito when he would come up, and Giolito kind of never came, and Roark 
pitched well. I think he had a couple of bad starts at the beginning, but he's been really good lately. And uh, he's top 12 pitcher that you've got on your team for under $4. So he's definitely a, an all-star at this point. Yeah, he's been interesting to me too in that the past couple of years, he kind of went back and forth between starting and relieving. And there was one year, this might have been 2014, uh, maybe 2013, where he was up as a reliever and was a really good relief option in Adenu. And then he became a starter for most of the next season and was okay, but not really a stud like he's been this year. But he's really come on as a legit player this year. For for some reason, he's actually... I, I always have him connected in my mind with Kirk Cousins, the Washington quarterback in football. <laughs> yeah. um, but I've always thought he's like a similar kind of player in that like he wasn't really expected to be anything too special. You know, Kirk Cousins was the backup for uh, the early part of his career. And um, Roark was in the relief. And he was kind of like that sixth starter backup type player. And he's, they both really come on as legitimate players. Um, and in Roark's case, uh, I think you have here his average price is just $3. You know, right. That's incredible if you have a top 12 or a top 10 player for under $5. Oh, yeah. It's, it's worth so much. I mean, he scored almost 600, 600 points year to date in the Fangraphs points format. He's uh, He's got nine wins if you're playing in Roto. So he's he's doing well. And what's interesting is sort of in the year of the home run, really a lot of his value is coming from suppressing the home run. So you've got – I mentioned Chris Sale. So Roark is now ranked above Chris Sale, but Sale's giving up more than 1.2 home runs per nine right now, which has been pretty devastating. He's down below five points per innings pitched. And the only reason I'm comparing him to Chris Sale is just because he happens to be ranked right above him. They're really not anything alike other than that. But uh, but Roark's striking out just under eight batters a game, you know, not – not super, but if you can suppress the home run in Fangraph points, you can be a very valuable pitcher. So for under four bucks, if you happen to scoop him up in early April and ride him out, he's been a an MVP for you. All right, well, uh, jumping over to my list, uh, a little bit of a similar guy. His, his average price is also three dollars. I picked Drew Pomeranz, uh, who has just been traded to the Red Sox. Uh, for anyone who owns him in Ottawa, that's a uh, I don't know if it'll specifically be a big downgrade, but it's definitely a bummer, you know, wondering if that will be a downgrade going from one of the best pitching parks to really one of the worst. Um, but uh, at the level he's been performing, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily going to affect him that much. He's been, I'm thinking, looking right now, the top 15 pitcher. Uh, he's right next to David Price, right next to Masahiro Tanaka. And again, his salary has only been an average of $3. Uh, in one league, I have him for only $1, and he's really been my best pitcher in that league, uh, which says a little bit about the quality of my pitching, but also about the quality of how Pomerantz has been performing. Um, and I think he, uh, this is the case with a lot of the players we talked about last week and some of the guys on our list this week. He's another kind of player that, you know, bounced around a little bit. He was a starter. He was a, a really good reliever for parts of last year. Uh, and he finally kind of settled into a role and really took over and has become a legitimate player, which... You know, that's going to be the case with a lot of players that we're talking about as value all-stars, a player that finally puts it together and has a breakout. So they're owned at a relatively low price. And then you would assume if you're drafting for next year, a guy like Roark or Pomeranz, he's not going to go for $3. They're going to go, uh, depends. They might go for 10 to 15 if people aren't quite buying their success. If they really establish themselves, you'll see them start to go 20, 25. And you'll see that price go up as people start to buy into the breakout. 
Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see at the end of this season when we look back this winter, really most of the bargains in fantasy baseball are coming on the pitching side. So if you've got a guy that, again, like Pomerantz, I mean, it's interesting that you compared him to David Price and I compared Roark to Sale. Not not that these guys are similar, but to just the where, they, where they're ranking year to date. Pomerantz has been excellent. I mean, he's striking out more than 10 batters per nine, which is phenomenal. It'd be interesting, like you said, to see where he what he does in the second half with Boston. I think everybody's a little skeptical, but you never know. I mean, he's the league hasn't seen him. It'll take him a, take them a few starts to adjust, and he's got good stuff. So, and is it right, Tom, that the, the Padres got Pomeranz for Alonso Yonder, Yonder Alonso? Alonso? Yeah, so that was a great deal. Yeah, I don't remember exactly, but that sounds familiar. I, I mean, I know they didn't get him. They didn't pay much for him. So, right. And actually, that's been his history. The the Oakland A's, I don't think, had to pay that much to get him. If I recall, that's a couple years ago now. But he was pretty good for them as a reliever last year and then got flipped to the Padres, where he's been excellent as a starter. That That's actually an, an interesting case to me, too, in that uh, with some of our hitters last week, we saw the same thing where some of us were kind of high on a guy. And then he went on to have success. But I think this is another case where, you know, we didn't necessarily expect that he was going to perform at this level. I was taking a flyer on him for a couple bucks in most of my leagues, but I didn't think he was going to be performing necessarily like a top 15 player. I thought maybe he'd be like a good fourth or fifth starter. And we see that with a lot of these players, too, that sometimes all you need to do is just take a chance on a guy and he could blow up into this great player or, you know, worst case scenario, maybe you have a fifth starter that's serviceable. Yeah, I think the thing to worry about Pomerantz, I mean, if there's if there's a a storm cloud above him, it's it's both the the move to the AL in Boston in the AL East and the innings. So he's now thrown 102 innings. I think his career high was 96 with the Rockies. So not sure how far he'll go, but ride him while he's hot. He's been a good good pitcher, and I'm sure he'll still deliver plenty of value if you've got him for under five bucks, like you said, going forward. Yeah, and, and exactly. That's that's the key. You know, if you spent, I don't know why you would have done this with Pomeranz, but you know, with any player performing like this, if you spent fifteen or twenty dollars, and then that player goes on to slump in the second half, that's kind of a bummer because then you know you paid legitimate money for that guy. You're not really getting much, and you don't have much space to go buy someone else. But if you bought a guy like this for three dollars and he starts slumping, you just bench him and play someone else. You know, chances are you have some other options on your team, or you have a little more wiggle room to go draft someone or make a trade. Uh, and that's why we're calling these guys the all-stars because, you know, they're giving you great value, not just great performance. Absolutely. All right. So you want to move to someone on your list? Yeah, I'm going to move to a guy that is almost exactly the same as Tanner Roark. <laughs> In fact, <laughs> when I look at the stats, I'm, I'm a little surprised. I picked these guys randomly, but they look almost identical. And that's Aaron Sanchez and the Blue Jays, who ironically will be uh, some of the same concerns with Pomerantz now that they're, I think, shutting him down or not shutting him down, but they're moving him to the bullpen. So, but Aaron Sanchez has been really good to start the season. 118 innings, just under eight Ks per nine. Again, he's doing a pretty good job of suppressing the home run ball. He's got a great ground ball rate, 57% almost. He's been a definite MVP for a lot of teams. And I, and the reason is because he came so cheaply. I mean, Aaron Sanchez was a highly rated prospect for the last three years, I think. And he just never quite made it work. And I was very low. I remember specifically thinking about Sanchez coming into the season 
I thought, well, the only way that he would have value is if he is in the bullpen. And I thought, surely they'll put him in the bullpen because that's the only way the Blue Jays, it would make sense for the Blue Jays. And they went the opposite route. They put him in the starting rotation. And I stayed away from him in every draft. And I did not think that he would be valuable. But he's been very, very good. And I think he's owned in most leagues for uh, about $3. So, uh, excuse me, $5. So if you've got him in most leagues, Aaron Sanchez, I don't know if you saw my my article, Tom, uh, last week, but he's probably on that short list right now of guys who are going to attract some arbitration dollars at the end of the season. Although he's been good enough, but if they move him to the bullpen, we'll see if kind of people forget about him as we exit the season in October. But great pitcher, 570 points in fan graph points, nine wins for those in Roto, decent K rate, good innings. But uh, he's definitely a guy that has talent, and he's going to be a good pitcher for a long time, it looks like. And I would expect that a guy like Sanchez, he's still got some upside there. He's still, If you see him pitch, he looks like a guy that can strike out way more than you know, just under eight uh, batters per nine. So it wouldn't surprise me to see him be a target for arbitration this offseason and to see him be a pretty valuable player uh, for the next few seasons. Yeah, I think you made a great point about the bullpen, too, because I think that's a little bit what happened with him coming into this year. He was in the bullpen for most of 2015. Um, looks like he made 30 bullpen appearances in just 11 starts, so mainly out of the bullpen. And he was pretty wild. He was walking a lot of guys, and there was some thought that uh, I think that people wanted him to become more of a Dellen Betances type, a guy that could just lock in in the bullpen and strike guys out and not have to worry if they didn't have great command. And then this year, like you said, they kind of went the opposite of that and people were scratching their heads. But either they knew something we didn't or who knows, maybe they just got lucky. Uh, but they've gotten really great results. <laughs> yeah, he. I mean, last year, I'm just looking at it again. He had he was striking out less than six batters per nine as a starter. And he was walking five batters per nine. So <laughs> not good. <laughs> I mean, that that was that was the story entering 2016. He was a little better as a reliever. He definitely lowered his walk rate. He increased his K rate a little bit. But so what he's doing this year is more along the lines of the, what the scouting reports always said. He had great stuff. He's got a great fastball that moves quite a bit. He's got a great kind of two-seamer that induces all those ground balls. So He's uh, he's really taking the next step, and he's a guy that probably could take another step. He seems like he's got the stuff and the youth to do that going forward for 2017. Yeah, I totally agree, and I and I think you're right that he's going to be a guy that people are going to target in arbitration. You know, someone like Tanner Roark, I could see people kind of saying, "Well, you know, maybe it's not legit. He's only really had one great year and not right. hitting him so hard." But with Sanchez, they're going to say this guy, you know, was a top prospect struggled a little bit. He put it together. I don't want to let somebody sit on him for $5 next year. And all of a sudden he's growing into like the next, you know, Noah Syndergaard or Jose Fernandez, somebody that is like striking out a ton of guys and not walking a lot. Right. Exactly. Well, uh, speaking of Noah Syndergaard, he's the next guy on my list. Um, and he's going to be by far the most expensive guy that we've talked about so far. Each of those guys was in between three and $5. Syndergaard is owned at $16 on average. Uh, but for, for the performance you're getting, again, he's been a great value. He's been performing just by total points. It looks like he's the number eight pitcher this year. But that doesn't quite tell the whole story because he's actually pitched the least innings, not just of the top 10 pitchers, but I think if you go even down to the top 20, top 25 pitchers by total points, 
he's pitched the least innings. So he's, you know, doing that same kind of points with fewer innings. That means he's performing on a greater per inning basis, which uh, as you should know, or if you don't know, you know, we're going to lay it out now. Pitchers who perform better per inning are much more valuable in Adonu because you only get a certain amount of innings to pitch. That's you know the same reason that relievers are so much more valuable just in terms of their points per inning because you're taking advantage of each inning and getting more points before you run up against your limit. So if you see someone uh, like Syndergaard compared to, for example, Madison Bumgarner, Bumgarner has put up more points, but he's done it in 30 more innings. Um, now you can go back and forth. You know, there's some argument that pitching a lot of innings is valuable and not a new because if you have a guy who pitches a ton of innings and is a great pitcher, you don't need to give those innings to your fifth or sixth starter. Uh, but I do think it's impressive that Syndergaard is putting up this level of points while only having pitched about 100 innings so far, while some of the other top pitchers are up around 120, 130. It's hard to mention Syndergaard, though, without the other obvious caveat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's he's been phenomenal. Maybe I would say... Right there with Jose Fernandez is maybe one of the best uh, up and coming pitchers, but heading in, you know, we're talking now just outside the all-star break, but there's a little bit of uneasiness about his elbow as it is with basically every Mets pitcher and player right now. But <laughs> well, uh, and, and you mentioned Fernandez, which is kind of sadly a fitting comparison because Fernandez had to go through Tommy John surgery and is now really back in his first full season back from Tommy John. Right, exactly. And I guess in fantasy baseball, you know, it's one thing to watch Syndergaard and he's just phenomenal to watch throwing, you know, 90 plus sliders, stuff like that. And I think everybody that watches baseball can kind of understand that it's a little uneasy to watch his elbow because it's not natural to throw that hard. But in fantasy baseball, you know, it's always difficult to have uncertainty. And he's sort of in that, that, window right now where you're just not sure. So even though I fully expect that he'll go out for these next few starts outside the all-star break and pitch well, there's that uncertainty about his elbow. So it's, it's, it's that weird situation where a player might be performing very, very well for the second half, but everybody's going to immediately ask you or at least bring up the concern about, well, what if, what if his elbow blows out in the next, uh, in the next start? So his trade value might actually be the lowest it's been all season. And so while his performance may be very good, his trade value may be plummeting. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that. Yeah, that's a really good point. And as I was kind of scouting some players for this list a couple of weeks ago, um, even over the past couple of weeks, I think the speculation and kind of just the general feeling of dread has gotten worse. You know, if this was maybe a month and a half ago, you know, in June or like at the end of May, I mean, if you had Syndergaard at $16 as average price, you were thrilled because he's pitching like a Cy Young candidate. And really, there wasn't that much sign of anything going wrong. And then over really the past month, and especially the past couple of weeks, you've started to see, you know, he'll get pulled from a start. He's had a couple starts where um, they're either talking about skipping him or pulling him out in the first couple innings. Um, and it really, it's surprising how even just in a couple weeks, you know, that average price of $16 looked like a huge steal a month ago and now it looks good, but it does kind of come with that question, you know, do you have this price and maybe you're not going to benefit from it, which is, you know, really one of the biggest bummers in Adenu when you get what you think is a great price. And in Syndergaard's case was a great price, but then at some point it becomes basically dead weight. <laughs> exactly. 
Exactly. So it's kind of a wait and see. If you own Syndergaard, you can't afford to trade him for 50, 60 cents on the dollar. So you got to ride him out and see see how it works, especially as you mentioned, Tom, if you got him for 15, 16 bucks. Yeah. And I do think that that could be the silver lining for some owners that if you own Syndergaard at $15, you can afford to keep him through, you know, I, I'm I don't want to jinx anything, but say the worst happens and he has Tommy John surgery. You know, he'd be out probably for all of this year and for most of next year at this point. You know, they might be talking about him coming back for a playoff push, that type of thing. Um, but you could afford to keep him through that. You know, at the end of all that, even with our braises, he might only be, you know, $22, $23 unless people really want to hit your team with arbitration dollars. Uh, I'm not sure that Syndergaard would be the best target in that case, but, you know, you never know what people are going to do. But if you do own him at the end of that at maybe $22, you know, you can afford to keep him and then see what you have. Whereas there's been cases in the past where people went out and spent a ton of money. Uh, I remember Steven Strasburg was a case like this, where as he broke out and then was kind of establishing himself, people spent a lot on him. And then all of a sudden it kind of all came crashing down and he got cut in a lot of leagues because people just couldn't afford to keep him at those prices. Well, there's a I, thing about Matt Harvey. I mean, that's been the yeah, discussion absolutely. for a couple of weeks. Everybody's asking, you know, he's being cut in a lot of leagues. I don't want to make this all about Mets pitchers, but Matt Harvey is 20 to $25 in a lot of leagues and he's being cut. And a lot of people are asking, well, how much it, how much does it make sense to keep Matt Harvey for next year, assuming that maybe he can recover from what, uh, what he's got and come back and be successful. But $20 is a lot of money in my opinion. I'm very anti injury injury though. Uh, at least uh, I'm, I'm, I'm risk averse where it comes to injuries. But $20, $25 is a lot to bank for your team to put away for a guy who maybe might come back at uh, 70 or 80%. But then again, you look at a guy like Syndergaard who has just elite skills and you think, man, how can I pass up a guy like that for $20? Yeah, and I think really uh, it's been almost horrifying in the case of Harvey. You know, we've seen him get dropped in some leagues and people are asking on the boards, you know, should I even spend 10 or $12 on him? You know, so that's kind of a sign of when things can go wrong in a case like this. But I think you're right. You know, for a player like Syndergaard who has shown that he can perform at the elite level, you know, I would not be surprised at all if you told me that if he was healthy, he was going to be the number one. Well, maybe not number one because of Clayton Kershaw, but maybe the number two pitcher next year. You know, that wouldn't surprise me at all. So if you have a case where he's been out for a year and coming back, uh, I agree. It's kind of hard to talk yourself out of keeping that player, you know, just because of the upside that could be there. If you have someone at $20, $22 and they're performing like the number two pitcher, you know, that could be a $40, $50 player. Right. Um, the, the potential for surplus is huge. Like you said, though, the potential for disaster is also quite large. And it would be depressing to be in a situation where we have Syndergaard at $20 and he's getting dropped and we're saying, you know, should I spend $12 to stash him? You know, so uh, keep that in mind, I, I guess. It, th this is really a case where I think Syndergaard definitely deserves consideration here as one of the first half all-stars. You know, if you had him at $16, you've banked that performance. And we talked about that last week, that in the points leagues, especially once you bank performance, you don't have to give it back. Um, so if you own Syndergaard, you can definitely be thankful for that and then hopefully have your fingers crossed that the future works out uh, even close to as well as the first half of the season has for him. Yeah, hopefully nothing happens to him and he can get through because he's a fun pitcher to watch. So Absolutely. So is it my turn? Uh, your turn, yeah. You actually have a guy that 
Uh, I kind of am sad I didn't put on my list because he's another really fun player to watch. <laughs> Talking about Rich Hill? Yep. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, again, we, we talk a lot about fantasy baseball as a podcast for Autonu, but sometimes you really have to watch some of these players to appreciate them. And Rich Hill is the guy that I really like to watch pitch this year. I watched, you know, he's a guy that signed a contract for four starts or based on four starts <laughs> last year. And I was thinking, man, how, how is it possible that Rich Hill is really this good? I kept waiting last year for the bottom to fall out. And again, I guess everyone else did too. He's owned in all of auto new leagues for about $3, maybe just above that. So everybody, I guess you could assume from that, that nobody bought into what he did for those four starts for the Red Sox last year, but he's doing it again here in 2016 and he's doing it very well for the A's. He's not doing it today because he left with a blister on his hand, which might be uh, after just five pitches. <laughs> yeah, I know. Might be uh, the A's way of uh, saving him for a, for an upcoming trade. But either way, Rich Hill has pitched 76 innings, so a little light because he has had some injuries. But he's at 6.15 points per innings pitch for those playing in the in this kind of sabermetrically uh, weighted uh Fangraph points, but he's been great. He's striking out almost 11 batters per nine. He's walking just over three, but he's not giving up any home runs. And that's really the key for a starting pitcher in this game. And the, really, he's got a tremendous curveball. He just he just is a pitcher. I mean, he doesn't have great stuff. I think he throws like 89 maybe, but from the left side, and he's just fun to watch. And he's been doing it in the AL where a lot of other pitchers have been getting bombed this year for sure. And so Rich Hill is a guy that if you own him, not only are you uh, enjoying very cheap, great production at a cheap price, but right now I think you have to buy into what he's doing. And if he gets traded, great. You know, he could go to the NL and maybe be even better. There's really not too many situations where he's going to get worse, I think, in the AL unless he goes to Boston, which I guess is a possibility and get hit. Hopefully the, they've taken themselves out of the market because they, they just traded they, for Pomerantz. That's right. You never know. <laughs> they they just got Pomerantz. And they got another breakout lefty. <laughs> that's right. But if he goes to the NL, he's good. But again, at, at 3 or $4, if you own him in a league, he's a keeper for next year. I don't see any reason why he isn't. So, the again, the bottom could fall out. Uh, he could be injured. He definitely is injury prone. Injury prone. I think he's 38. I'm not looking, but I think that's that's right. And uh, but he's been an MVP for sure this year. He's definitely been an All Star, and uh, he's he's a he's a fun pitcher to watch. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, I think Hill is um, emblematic of something you mentioned in passing too, which is the difference between the points league, so Saber points and Fangraphs points, and the two, the four by four and the five by five leagues. You know, so Hill, especially in five by five, might not necessarily be a great player because he doesn't really fit some of the traditional stats, you know, especially the wins. Um, but, you know, for whip, for example, um, you know, he does allow some hits. He does allow not a ton of walks, but he's not really like a traditionally great pitcher where you see, you know, tons of strikeouts. Maybe they're on a good team and they get tons of wins, that kind of thing. Uh, but for the points leagues he really has been a standout player because he doesn't allow home runs. And that's, you know, something you don't get credit for in any of the, you know, the traditional five by five, four by four, or in non auto new leagues, there's some leagues that kind of function on that same uh, system. And, and I think that's really been one of the interesting things to me 
about playing Adenu, especially over the past couple of years, is seeing the difference between those systems where, you know, in Adenu 5x5, really a lot of the traditional advice applies. If you listen to, you know, any of the other Rotograss podcasts or read any of the kind of traditional Roto reporting sources, uh, a lot of those players are going to be the same ones you see all over. But in Adenu points, in the Fangrass points, and especially in the Sabre points, which I think is kind of a funky, fun type of league to play where the hits basically don't count. Uh, it runs off of that FIP idea where pitchers control their walks, their home runs, their strikeouts, but not their hits. So that's a fun kind of league. That's really where you see some of these pitchers stand out that might not be getting the same respect in a 5 by 5 league. To me, that's really one of the fun things about Adenu is that it makes some players who aren't great in other leagues uh, really stand out. And I think it reflects players that stand out in real life. You know, you see all the time a player that they say, oh, he's going to be better in real life than he is in fantasy. And I think Adenu, especially with pitchers, helps some of those players stand out in a way that they don't. And to me, that's really fun because I think a fantasy league should reflect some of the best real life players. That's a good point, Tom. I mean, and the three guys that I brought up happen to be interesting examples of that because you've got Tanner Rourke, Aaron Sanchez, and Rich Hill all with nine wins at the break, but they all do it differently. Rich Hill's, you know, beating those other two by striking out three more guys a game, three more guys per nine. So he's great in the the points leagues. Like you said, he's got a 2.56 whip, but uh, – <laughs> You know, so if you it, it auto is great because it does have several different formats, and it's probably even more exciting when you play in both formats or two different formats, and you really kind of have to make your your brain work on two different levels to to pick the guys that are getting the wins, playing on good teams, getting the strikeouts, and then the guys who actually get it done more sabermetrically uh, and have a better FIP and uh, K rate stuff like that. So. Well, I don't know if I'd call it exciting or maybe infuriating, but it definitely is interesting. <laughs> Could be a little confusing. <laughs> yeah, especially uh, Justin's not on this podcast, but I don't know how he does it. He plays in like 12 different leagues or something, and some of them are all different formats. So I don't know how he keeps it straight in his head. <laughs> I don't either. Yeah. All right. Well, um, those are some of the guys that we wanted to highlight really as our uh, all-stars. You mentioned a little before that um, something I had been thinking along the same lines that we really saw with the pitchers, uh, a lot of cases where these really cheap pitchers, you know, most of the guys we mentioned are owned at three, four or $5 on average. Some of these guys are performing really in the top levels of not just value, but the top levels of performance in general. Some of these guys we mentioned are playing in the top 10 or the top 15 uh, of all pitchers by total points. And not only that, they're owned really cheaply. Uh, so I thought it'd be interesting to take a look at some of the other guys who are the most expensive players, but they're not in the top five of pitchers by total points. Um, so real quick before that, we have Kershaw uh, as the top performing pitcher, and he's also the most expensive pitcher uh, owned at an average of $58, which is a lot, but um, I think most people would argue worth it. You know, I think for some teams, you're seeing him worth maybe $60, $70, maybe more. So you're getting some surplus there. But after him, um, the most expensive pitchers are all in the 30s. Some of these guys are in the mid to high 30s. We have Chris Sale, Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, David Price, Zach Greinke. All these guys are owned in the high 30s, and none of them are performing as well as some of the guys that we mentioned. You know, I, I think I mentioned with Price, he and Pomeranz were performing very similarly. 
you mentioned Chris Sale and Tanner Roark were kind of performing around the same level. So I think that's really been a sign that um, I, I don't know if it's necessarily a sign that these top paid pitchers are not performing well, because a lot of them are performing near the top. They're performing maybe in the top 15 or top 10 range. But it's definitely a sign that some of these cheap guys have been extremely impressive to be in the same conversation and even outperforming some of the most expensive players this year. Well, with the exception of Strasburg that you mentioned, the one commonality of all those guys is all those guys are giving up one home run per nine or higher. So, I mean, Price is at uh, 1.16. Scherzer's at almost 1.5, which is crazy. Sale is at 1.22. Grinky's at one. John Lester, I don't think you mentioned him, but he's at 1.3. So all these are guys that kind of came at a premium in auctions in the spring or were held over for a pretty high price. And they're all giving up home runs. And these are some of the best pitchers on the planet. So it's the year of the home run. And we haven't done this yet. And I'm looking forward to doing it in the off season. But, you know, Joe has done good work on calculating what the replacement level is for starting pitchers. And for the last few seasons, this is a very – uh, short shortcut version, but in my mind, it has been about 4.2 points per innings pitch if you play in the Fangraph points uh, system. And I have a feeling that that has dropped quite a bit this year, and that's just my my gut feeling based on all these home runs that these pitchers are giving up. So I've seen a lot of articles about the the reasons for home runs being at uh, you know almost 1990s levels, but. I don't know if anybody has the answer yet, but it'll be interesting to see in the second half if it continues because guys like Scherzer are giving up almost uh, two home runs a game. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, Scherzer, I think, is especially frustrating because sometimes he goes out and he's just completely unhittable, just striking out everybody. Nobody can even make contact. But then, you know, he'll go out in the next game and allow three or four home runs. So it's one of those cases where on the whole, you are getting very good production. Um, maybe not that elite production, third most expensive pitcher that you might have hoped for, but pretty good production. But it's just so frustrating to imagine what if he didn't have those starts where he allowed a bunch of home runs. And if you were really getting like that elite can't touch it stuff in every game. Then you've got a guy like Steven Wright, who isn't on our list, but (laughs) he's just throwing up knuckleballs up there and giving up a home run every other game. And he's valuable because he's doing that. Yeah, uh, Stephen Wright frustrates me because last year I actually drafted him and I think he came up for a couple starts, but he you know didn't pitch that well and he really didn't get much playing time. And I said, ah, you know, whatever, I'm not going to draft him again. Like it was really just a, a fluke that I even tried to pick him up. And then this year he goes out and pitches like this. It's been like really frustrating that I if I had waited a year, I could have just kind of fallen into that production. And I think a lot of people did the same thing. He, you know, he was not drafted in most leagues, he was picked up. Um, yeah, I, I think in those first couple weeks as he came up and that's pretty rare in Adenu to see a player that isn't even drafted at all. You see a lot of players that they get picked up for a few dollars at the end of auctions, but you don't really see too many players that just don't get drafted at all. And then within the first couple weeks, they get picked up and then provide good production just because the rosters are so deep. So he's right. definitely been kind of a curiosity on the field and off the field as far as how people have handled him for fantasy. Well, he's the 13th ranked overall starter right now. And like you said, Tom, people own him probably for a dollar. I don't think he was drafted that much this year at all, at least in April. 
Yeah, and, and even as I saw him go up for auction in a couple leagues, and I said, eh, that's not going to happen. And he's still doing it. So, you know, whoever got him for a dollar or two in that auction when no one was paying attention, they really are lucking out right now. <laughs> All right, well, why don't we uh, head over to relief pitching? We're going on a long time about pitchers, which is cool because uh, I, I wasn't sure if we were going to have a long episode here. If I thought we might be doing kind of like a short, condensed version, um, but we've had quite a bit to talk about. But let's move on to the relief pitchers, and we won't go on for too long. Uh, so I'll go first here. Um, the first guy I had lined up was Alex Colome, who um, people might remember. I think in one of our earliest shows, Joe mentioned uh, Colome as somebody he liked. Um, because he was a player that had been pitching well, but also had the opportunity to step into a closer role. And, and I think all of us agree a lot of times those are good players to target in Ottenew where maybe they're a seventh or eighth inning guy. You can get them for cheap and then all of a sudden they step into a closer role and they're lights out. Um, and Colome has been lights out. He's been pitching really well. He took over that closer role early. And there's even been talk that when Boxberger comes back, that Colomay is just going to remain the closer because he's been so good. And I, I wouldn't blame the Rays for sticking with that. Um, and this is a running theme with a lot of these players. His average price is just $3. Um, so if you picked him up for 3 bucks, relievers don't quite generate the same value as some of the other positions. But I, I mean, I think he's definitely performing like a $15 or $20 player just based on relief pitcher salaries. So you're getting at least $10 surplus if you have him. Colomay has definitely been an MVP or... I guess we're talking about all-stars, but he's he's been an all-star player. And like you said, he's a guy that picked up cheap. He was a speculation guy. I remember drafting in, in April, or excuse me, in in, uh, in March. And I remember in many leagues, he was sort of the guy at the back end of the draft that people were trying to wait to spend $2 yeah. on. He would go for three. Yeah, and I think that's um that's kind of the case with a lot of these relievers. You know, we mentioned with the starting pitchers and with some of the positions last week that we see kind of these cases where people come up out of nowhere. And that's really how people land on these all-star lists when we're looking at value players. But there's been a lot of talk for a long time that relief pitching was that kind of position where you can pay top dollar for some of the top free agents in the draft. But really, you have this ability to strike gold really cheap. Um, and some of us in kind of the autographs group have not always fully aligned with that. We've uh, at some points have championed paying a little more for relievers and paying for that guaranteed production. Uh, but I think there is an argument that just because of the way relievers can move from role to role, you can hit on a guy that if he's the seventh inning guy, you know, he's not necessarily that valuable. All of a sudden, if he becomes the closer or even the eighth inning guy getting four points for each hold, that's a big jump in value. You know, if you're somebody that say you're getting six points per inning as a seventh inning guy, if you take over even as the eighth inning guy and you get maybe a hold every other game, you're now getting eight points per inning, which is a pretty respectable reliever. So I think uh, that's kind of where you can speculate on players. I think it's a little less about, you know, picking a player that you don't know if he's going to be good or not. You know, that's how it is sometimes with the position players. You're just speculating on whether a guy will be good. But with the relievers, a lot of times you can tell if someone's a good reliever. What you're speculating on is will they take on a role change that will enable them to get more points in Ottenew. Right. Yes. Yeah, so uh, why don't we hop over to your list? <laughs> I, I just have one and it's Dellen Batances. And if you got to watch the all-star game, then you got to see again, how good some of these guys are. But Batances looked unhittable as he does uh, quite, a, quite often, but he's on my list because uh, for one, he's the fifth best 
reliever year to date in auto new in points uh, points formats. He's been great. I think it's not a surprise that he's very good. I mean, everybody knew he was going to be a top guy coming into 2016. But I remember having those conversations early in the spring about, well, if Chapman's there, Miller's there, but Tantas' value should actually be suppressed a little bit because he's not going to get save chances. And he, there, whoever mentioned that, you know, the masses were correct. He has no saves year to date, but he's got 21 holds. But he's having a phenomenal year. And I think, again, going back to the fact that if you take a kind of take a breather during the All-Star break and you look at some of the statistics that are overlooked in the first half of the year, that Yankees bullpen has been phenomenal. I mean, Batances has a FIP of 1.19. Miller has a FIP of 1.92. I'm looking for Chapman. I don't see him right on my list here, but I – these guys you have been incredible. Chapman is further down because he was suspended for a month, so he's not as high on total points. Ah, uh, that's that, you're uh, right, you know, Tom. I'm looking at he's got a, a 1.8 FIP, uh, 2.3 ERA, uh, striking out 13 per nine and walking only two. So Chapman has also been pretty good. Oh, <laughs> uh, he's been incredible. But what's I guess my the reason I picked Batances is because he's uh, he's. Striking out almost 16 guys per nine, which is, I think, the highest in the major leagues. But I guess the point I made early in the spring, and I and I think it might hold true now, is that Batances has thrown almost 90 innings for the last couple seasons. And I expected that he would throw something close to that this year, even though he was sort of the third wheel in that bullpen. And it's going to be fun to watch here in the second half because a lot of people are speculating whether the Yankees are going to be sellers or not. I think they should be, and a lot of people do. But if they trade Chapman or if they trade Miller, Batantis sounds like the one that they would keep uh, for the most part. But if they trade him, he's going to step into some additional innings and some other opportunities, possibly some save chances. But if he throws 15 or 20 more innings than your next best reliever, Juris Familia, is right there with him, Andrew Miller. But those innings add up, and they really – just to give you an example, Tom, we've talked about this before, but Kenley Jansen is a number one reliever heading into the All-Star break. He's got 11 points per innings pitch. He's thrown just under 40 innings. Batances has thrown 44 innings at just 9.3 points per innings pitch. But if that gap in innings thrown for the rest of the year – continues to increase. If if Batances ends up with, say, 20 more innings than, than Jansen, he can actually be just as valuable. So I was an advocate of paying quite a bit for Batances in the beginning of the year, and I really like him for the second half too. So if you're taking this podcast as the opportunity to kind of buy low on somebody, I'm not sure it's possible to buy low on Batances, <laughs> but he's a guy I would definitely target because he's got a ton of value because he's very, very good. And he's going to throw a lot of innings. So if I had to pick one guy that's sort of the all-star for relievers in the first half, Batances is the guy. Yeah, I think you make a great point about the innings pitch too. Um, because I think normally the logic in Adonu would be not that you want a guy who pitches less innings, but that a guy who pitches fewer innings and gets more points is more valuable. And that was kind of the point I made with someone like Syndergaard who had pitched fewer innings but was putting up so many points because for a starting pitcher – that gives you more innings to get points from other guys. But I think with relievers, it's flipped a little. And, you know, and even in a case where 
Batances is a few total points behind Jansen. I almost like having Batances more because you want to get as many innings as possible out of your relievers. You know, so say if you have Batances, he's thrown 44 innings so far. That's 44 innings that you don't have to get from a starting pitcher who is going to almost any starter is going to give you weaker production. Whereas Jansen's at 39, it's only five innings. And, you know, we think it might open up by the end of the year because there's still half a season left to play. But even just with 39 versus 44, that's five innings that you have to get from someone else. You're probably not going to get them for other relievers because you can't just have them throw more innings. You know, that's another five innings you have to get from one of your starters. And and honestly, it's probably not even going to be your best starter because you're starting him every day already. It's going to be your fifth or sixth starter that you threw in for an extra start. You're probably going to get, you know, 3.5, four points per game, especially with all the home runs. You don't know what you're going to get. So someone like Batances who throws more innings and lets you get more of your innings total from the bullpen is really providing you an extra value on top of that elite per inning value. Especially with the fact that starting pitchers are giving up so many more home runs this year, Tom. So, I mean, you the short version is you want to get as many innings from your bullpen as possible because even a bad inning from a reliever, let's say six and a half, seven points, is nearly equivalent to a great inning from Clayton Kershaw. So the more innings you can stuff into your bullpen, the better. And Batances is a, a good one to do that. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, I had uh, one other guy on my list here. And then, um, you know, I, I think we'll probably I, I want to take a little quick look at some of the guys Justin had lined up as the top relievers overall. But the last guy on my list was Will Harris with the Astros, who um, yeah, I, I think there's any number of guys that you could pick kind of in the same style of a guy who came in as really like a in Will Harris's case, a sixth or seventh inning guy who had never really been relevant in fantasy before. And all of a sudden he gets the closer role. Ken Giles struggled. Luke Gregerson struggled. Will Harris takes over the closer role and he's all of a sudden pitching like one of the top relievers, Um, you know, just again on the strength of going from almost no holds and no saves to getting a save in most of his appearances. Um, And just like Alex Colome, Harris was only owned at $2 this year. So if you owned Harris for two, chances are in a lot of leagues, he's even just owned at one. Um, He's pitching like a $10 or $15 guy. That's another case where Harris isn't really pitching any better. You know, he doesn't have a better FIP or more strikeouts, really. But just that change of role really boosted him from not relevant to one of the better players. I think that's something to watch out for. Definitely agree, Tom. He's uh, he's been a gold mine as far as dollar dollar bin values. So Will Harris is, uh, and they they've left him in there. You know, there was a thought that that Ken Giles would move back into the closer role if he righted the ship, and he has. There's an article recently on Fangraphs about how Ken Giles has been a lot better since April, but Will Harris is still still staying there. Yeah, I, a lot of um. Well, I don't want to say a lot of because I don't know if we have a lot period of listeners, but I'm sure people who are interested in this show um, might listen to Effectively Wild. Uh, which is kind of like a sabery kind of show. And one thing they looked at this year was how a lot of teams say they're going to, you know, either go closer by committee or we're going to go with the hot hand or platoon. And usually that lasts about two days and someone gets a save and all of a sudden it's like, he's our closer, you know, we're sticking with him. And I think Harris is a case of that. The Astros kind of said they were going to mix and match. They had Giles and there was some thought that he was going to take over some saves. But, you know, as soon as Harris got that job, there's kind of just a momentum where you don't want to take a guy out if he's doing well. And, and I think Harris is a perfect beneficiary of that. Unless he starts to struggle, no manager is is going to pull him from that role. You know, they're just going to say, well, we're going to stick with what's working. There's no reason to make a change. 
And you know, if you own him, you're the beneficiary of that too. And Harris, just one more kind of caveat. He has been a ground ball machine, 62%. So he's not given up any home runs. So um, that, that's another reason why he's been so valuable this year. Yeah. And, and I think you're right to keep mentioning home runs with these guys because you know, you can get points in auto new by striking out guys. If you prevent walks, that really helps. But really, the number one way is to prevent home runs. You know, a home run, I think, is worth negative 14 points for a pitcher. So if you strike out an extra guy, that's worth a couple points. If you prevent a walk, you know, that would be minus three points. But if a, if a reliever allows a home run, usually their outing goes from, you know, eight or 10 points to negative, you know, and you've got a guy sitting there with like minus four points on his record. And that's pretty hard to salvage. You know, you have to pitch a, a lot of good innings to clear that off your record. So a guy who allows, you know, none or a few home runs really has a leg up on the other guys that occasionally have to clean up those bad outings. Uh, all right. So you wanted to touch on Justin's guys, Tom? Yeah. So, um, well, just the one thing I had noticed is I, I had pulled up kind of this point here about how some of the most paid pitchers uh, in starting rotations had been underperforming or again, not necessarily underperforming, but they were, you know, performing the same or even not as well as some of these really cheap guys. Uh, and I noticed the same thing with the relievers, which on one hand, you know, kind of goes with that um, that common logic that relievers are fungible, that you can kind of pick up good guys for nothing. Um, but I think what's interesting that we've seen here is that the best performing relievers were mostly, for the most part, paid legitimate money. What happened is that we weren't necessarily able to predict the best relievers out of that group, though. So just to to point out here, if you go by Justin's list, um, some of you probably saw his article a few weeks ago, and I'll post a link so anybody can go back and check that out if they want. The top relievers by total points were Kenley Jansen, Dellen Batances, who we just mentioned, Juris Familia, Zach Britton, um, and Justin also noted David Phelps, who has pitched in kind of the classic fireman role where he's not quite putting up as many points per inning as these other guys, but he's pitching a ton of innings, which is really helpful. Um, and all those guys, Jansen owned at 18, Batances 10, Familia 7, Britton 9, Phelps is kind of the outlier at 2. But if you go over to the highest paid relievers, you see Craig Kimbrell, Araldis Chapman, who is not going to be in top total points because he was suspended, but still people paid for him. Uh, Trevor Rosenthal, who has totally lost his closer's job. And David Robertson, who's been good, but not kind of in this elite tier. Those four are the top paid relief pitchers, them and Jansen. So I think we've seen this same kind of phenomenon where you did have to pay, you know, some legitimate money for these top relievers, but we weren't quite able to predict some of these you know, most elite relievers that we paid the most for. Some of them have fallen outside of the top five or even the top 10 or in Rosenthal's case has fallen completely even out of a closer role. It's, it's, it's always been hard to predict relievers. I mean, if you go back to the f- future and take a look at the stats, it's, you know, they, they change hands so often, but you're right. I mean, some of these top guys like Rosenthal is a good example. He had, great stuff the last few years and he just kind of lost it this year. So there's always a debate. I'm sure we can have it not on this podcast, but in the future, but about what, what should you pay for elite relievers and should you reallocate that money somewhere else? If you don't do it, I don't know if, I don't know if the first half of the season gives any final kind of confirmation on either of those two ends of the spectrum, but You've got a got a mix here of Jansen's been great. He was the number one guy probably on the board, but the second half we'll see what happens. Kimbrel's out. 
Chapman may be traded. Rosenthal's hurt. Uh, or not hurt, but uh, not he, pitching he might well. go on the DL with uh, you know, with acute terribleness. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly. So uh, it's been uh, I, I don't know. To me, I I feel like for relievers, it's been a somewhat more predictable year. I mean, even though we're debating some of these top guys, I, I do feel like on the starting pitcher side, there's been a few more. Kind of revelations as far as new guys that have popped up and great pitchers, forty dollar pitchers who are having some struggles. But again, I I keep harping the the home runs, but I think a lot of it's related to that. Yeah, and I do think I agree with you. You know, we we did see some of that traditional fungibility where we couldn't quite predict the top relievers, but we do see that the best performing relievers, for the most part, were players that you could predict a little bit, and we see that in the salaries. So Jansen was paid one of the top salaries, and then guys like Batances. Uh, Britain, Andrew Miller, um, even Chapman to a point who has been performing well on a rate basis. And I'm sure people who bought him knew that they were going to miss a month. Uh, we did manage to predict some of those players and pay legitimate money for them. Um, like you said, I'm I'm not sure what the answer is, and I'm sure we'll maybe do a show on this in the offseason, just kind of looking at some of these questions. Um, you know, I think relievers really are one of the fascinating things about Adonu to me just because we haven't quite solved what the answer is yet. So um, for for anybody who's interested in that, I'm sure we'll spend a lot of time trying to figure that out. If we ever figure it out, we'll you know pass that knowledge along to any of our listeners. Absolutely. Yeah, well, um, Justin's not here, but um, I know he likes when I mention the time of the episode. Looks like we're at about 53 minutes, which is um, pretty good considering that I wasn't sure how long we were going to be able to talk about relievers. So why don't we wrap it up here? Uh, We'll come back next week. I think we're going to try and talk about trade vetoes, which has been a hot topic along a lot of leagues, on the Slack boards, on the Adenu community forum. So, um, you know, everybody keep that in mind, and we'll try and shed some light on how we see that next week. Thanks for listening. 